you guys want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, we'll be in chapter 17, looking at verses 18, or 8 to 24 here in a moment, continuing our sermon series in 1 Kings, the life, uh, the life of Elijah, learning from the life of Elijah. Um, just um, before we get going into this message, just want to note kind of like where we're going to be going for the sermons this summer kind of like where our preaching, preaching plan is. Next week, I'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, pretty well known if you're within the church. Uh, then after that, I'm, I'm off on holidays. And Melden Lutzer from Hope Kelowna is a great commission collective, like a sister church of ours, the church plan network we belong to. He's coming here. That church actually helped financially support us as we got going. And I'm going to go to their church, so we're switching pulpits that Sunday. So excited for you guys to hear uh, Melden Lutzer and the message he'll bring. And then after that, actually, Josh Gosen, our own, uh, he's going to be see, uh, preaching from Revelation chapter 5. Excited to hear what the Lord will teach him through that scripture. And then uh, Dave Meisner will be preaching from, I think, 2 Chronicles verse 20. Yeah, and, and that is a powerful scripture. Uh, and then I'll, I'll be back then, and then we'll actually have Trevor Peacock from Redemption Calgary North uh, coming in and preaching as well. And kind of, I'll be taking that week to just really plan ahead Uh, as much as I can and prepare for the fall. But excited for all the people that the Lord will come and encourage you uh, with the scriptures. Um, Excited this morning to open up the word here again in just a moment. It's maybe just a question like, why are we here? Why are we taking time gathered on a Sunday morning in a summer to stop, to sing songs, and to open up the Bible? Like, why are we doing that? And just kind of like to answer that, just think through this for a second. I was meeting this week... uh, with another brother, and I can't say really his name or exactly where he is because of the scope of what he's doing, but uh, he has a burden to get the scriptures into a language uh, of a people group that don't have the Bible in the Middle East, and they don't have uh, a Bible. There's only one known believer in this people group in the Middle East, and so he's giving his life, has his, his family over in Europe. He's doing language studies for like 10 years uh, in terms of that distinct language and learning all that he he can and then he's going to gather a group of people and they're going to translate the bible into a language that actually it right now doesn't even have like anything written down and that'll take over 10 plus years who knows how long it'll take to get the bible into their language so that they would have the word of god and think about that all the time all the energy all the resources committed to that and the, in the hopes that more people of that people group would hear the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. I'm like, wow, that, that's amazing that he would undertake that. And so what a blessing it is for all of us that we already have the Bible in the English language. That we have ample resources. We have hard copies. You can have it on your phone. And, and the thing is, we believe this is the word of God. And, and so as we open up, we believe that God's going to speak to us through it. And, and, and that's, that's my prayer for us. Every time we gather together, when I open up the, the word throughout the week, like personal devotions, this is the word of God. Lord, speak to me through it by your spirit. And that's my prayer again this morning. So again, just thinking about the work that he's doing. So in like 20 plus years, maybe they're going to have some scripture in their own language. And so what a blessing it is that we have it already. And so I'm going to get you to stand. We're going to read God's word together. And part of the reason we stand is of reverence for the Word of God. This is the Holy Bible. There's no other book like it. 
So looking at 1 Kings 17, 8 to 24. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled the, the message of this sermon, God is over all. And again, before continuing on, I'd like to just bow before the Lord in prayer if you want to pray with me. Oh God, I, I praise you and thank you that we have your word in our own language. And I know uh, the, the history that it, took, it cost many people their lives to translate scripture into our language and I thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have to be able to read it, to understand it. And I pray, the Holy Spirit, that you'd speak through me now. I pray, God, that you take the word uh, that we have just read, and I pray you would proclaim it to our hearts and to our minds. I pray that you would do your work that you desire, Lord. I pray those who do not know you, Holy Spirit, may you draw people to yourself. May they see their need for Jesus Christ and give them faith to believe. I pray for... Uh, those of us who do know you, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at. If we're, if we're just feeling down, if we're feeling low, we would be greatly encouraged by your word. We'd be pointed towards you. For those, Lord, who are, are maybe just walking well with you right now, may they be blessed. May they maybe get a word to share with someone uh, around them and their family. Lord, 
when you just do what you desire to do in this time, but we pray that you would meet with us, O oh Lord. So I pray you'd speak through me uh, for your glory and for your honor. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jumping into, uh, again, 1 Kings. If you weren't with us last week, 1 Kings uh, 17, we just kind of 1 to 7, we looked at a little bit of the background, what's going on here. And uh, Elijah appears on the scene. But before he appears on the scene uh, in, in northern part of uh, Israel, it's just called Israel, there's a wicked king by the name of King Ahab. And King Ahab, the reason he was known for his wickedness is not only did he leave the people astray, they would worship these, this golden calf idol instead of worshiping the Lord. Then they also would brought in what's called a worship of Baal. Baal was a Canaanite god uh, that, that people would sacrifice sometimes their own children. They would participate in some sexual perverse activities to try to excite the god of Baal so he would bring rain upon the land. And so these, these brutal practices were happening within the land of Israel, and that's the time that God decided to bring a man onto the scene, one of his own, the, the prophet called Elijah. And Elijah said, it's not going to rain in the land anymore until I say so. It was basically a curse for disobedience for the people of God in Israel, that they're, they're, they're turning away from the Lord. And so because of that, rain was not coming on the land. And then we see God, he miraculously provided for Elijah. He sent them kind of just outside of Israel to this brook, and he was able to drink fresh water. But then God had ravens bring him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. It's amazing how he provided for him. So this is like continuing the story on. From there, you'll see kind of two more miraculous things happening here in chapter 17. And kind of each miracle is almost greater than the last. And each miracle, I don't know, it's sometimes it's almost like making... Elijah giving him greater faith in the Lord that he serves, kind of preparing for chapter 18, the showdown with the prophets of Baal that is going to be happening. But so God has already provided greatly for Elijah. We're going to see again this provision. I want us to see very clearly God is overall. So if you're like just really simple two points, the first point when we're looking at the widow is God is over life. The second point we're looking at the widow's son, God is over death. So if you catch that, God is over all, God is over life, God is over death. Uh, that's it, we could close our Bibles and go home. <laughs> but I wanted us to unpack this a little bit more. So the widow, I want us to see God is over life, looking at verses 8 to 16. So again, Elijah, he was by this brook, verse 7, it says, After a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Again, Elijah as a prophet, this is how God spoke to him. He got the word of the Lord. It would come to him and he would obey from that. Again, I just pointed out last week, in our day and age, people are not like, hey, I got a word from the Lord. No, we have the word of the Lord and we open it up and we read and that's how God speaks to us. But for Elijah in his time period, he was a prophet, so he got this word. And what was the word in verse 9? Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he was to go to this area that was north of Israel. Everyone knows where Sidon is? Zarethaph? That's No, no. I'm like, I had to like, how do you pronounce Zarethaph? I might be doing it wrong, actually. But where, where it was, it was north of Israel. And interesting enough, just north of Israel, so Sidon's the country. Zarethaph is like a, or Sidon is like the capital city. Zarethoph is a town about 13 kilometers south of there on the coast. The thing is, it's the heart of Baal worship. So Elijah's leaving 
Israel, it's supposed to be God's kind of like chosen people, chosen land, and he's going to Zarethath, the place where Baal worship is prominent. Like that, that's a huge part of the story. You need to see this. So he's going in kind of enemy territory, which is actually really surprising that God would send the prophet of Israel to this place where people worship Baal as their primary focus, and they weren't God-fearing, and they weren't part of the chosen people of Israel. But God, in his plan, he's just like, hey, I want you to go in this direction. It's surprising. It's not where we think Elijah would be sent to. Another thing we see as the prophet is leaving Israel is uh, he is the one who has the word of the Lord. So as the prophet leaves Israel and goes to a foreign land, it's like the word of God is also leaving Israel. It's a basically like a judgment upon the land. They haven't been worshiping God for so long. They have turned their backs, and God kind of like an act of judgment. There's no rain on the land. And then also the word of the Lord through the prophet Elijah is leaving. Right? God is so gracious. He's so kind. But then if disobedience continues on and on, eventually God brings judgment. Right? We see that by Elijah leaving Israel. There's a kind of a judgment upon the land. We need to kind of maybe remember that for ourselves too. Maybe individuals here need to hear that. Like God's grace and mercy are great, but eventually if we keep spurning the Lord, if we keep having an opportunity to turn and follow him and we're like, no, I don't want to, eventually he takes his hand back. But we can just see here the fact that Elijah got called to northern uh, north of Israel to Zarephath, like God's ways are far above our ways. And uh, it's not what we'd expect or plan. And our job is simply to obey and go. Uh, so Elijah is going to Zarephath. He said there's going to be a widow who's going to provide for him. Uh, and I want us to see that in verses 10 to 12. Who is this widow that he meets? In verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And it's interesting, and if you know anything about the Bible, the fact that it's a widow, because it, God's heart is for the widow, God's heart is for the orphan, God's heart is for the foreigner, like people who are like outside of the normal uh, kind of uh, constructs of society who would be provided for. A widow with no husband would be on her own. An orphan with no you know, parents on their own. A foreigner who doesn't know anyone. But God's heart all throughout the Old Testament is like care for the widows. Look after the widows. And actually there'd be blessings upon the people in Israel if they cared for the widows. And then curses if they turned their back on the widow. For those of us who are together and we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 6, even in the New Testament, God's heart is like look after those who can't look after themselves. God's heart is for that. So, Okay, interesting that it's a widow, but it's not a, a widow from Israel. It's a, a Gentile it, widow. What I mean by Gentile, a non-Jewish, non-Israelite woman, widow. And it's, so it's actually really surprising that God sends Elijah to a widow, not surprising, but a widow in Zarethath. You're like, why are you sending it to the non-Jewish widow of all places? Again, if the more we don't understand Scripture, the more this is like so surprising, but God's sovereign. He does what he wants. And again, where is it? In Zarethath, the heart of Baal country. Like the heart of Baal worship. Like the, the place that's like maybe most opposed to the Lord. God's like, go there to a widow who's non-Jewish where all they do is worship Baal. That's where I'm going to provide for you. 
Amazing. Amazing. So I want you to just kind of see this. I'll look at his conversation with the widow. So he goes and behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, so she's like, okay, like kind of great hospitality to this foreigner. I'm going to go get you some water. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. He said, no, no, not just water. I'm also hungry too. He's kind of like upping what he's asking for. But look at her response. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So like, not having like, hey, yeah, we have a little bit. We could share a little bit with you. Like, no, this is our last meal that we're about to have. We have nothing else over, over this. We're just going to have a little bit of food in our belly and that's it and we're going to die. And this is the widow that Elijah gets sent to that's supposed to provide for him. This is amazing. I think we see this often in the Bible. In great weakness, God shows himself strong. In great weakness, take this to heart, God shows himself strong. God did, he could have sent Elijah to say the, the person who had like storehouses of food. And like, oh yeah, we, we have lots. Maybe the person whose pantries were completely full, we have a, a, you know, a great well, we have like, yeah, we have lots of produce. Yeah, yeah, come in. Yeah, it's, it's no small thing. But instead, God sends Elijah to a, a foreign widow in the heart of Baal country who has like absolutely nothing. Amazing. This, this is how our God works. Again, in weakness, God shows himself strong. Again, God's showing the one who has little or nothing, God is overall. God gives life, God sustains life, and Baal is nothing. I want you to see that over and over again. Baal, the one that they worship, is nothing. The widow's not being provided by Baal. She's actually like, we're about to die. And in the heart of Baal country, God's showing himself. The Lord's like, actually, I reign here too. And I can provide for here as I can provide in Israel or wherever my people may be. So look at Elijah's response to her. His promise from Elijah in verse 13 and 14. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it. And bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. But why? The reason, look at verse 14. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. The word of the Lord for her, that God will provide food for you, until the day that it rains. So again, there is no rain in Israel, but there's also no rain here in Sidon either. Which is ironic enough because Baal is the god of rain. But there's no rain. But he, he's saying, okay, the Lord, this is the word of the Lord for you. He'll provide for you until the day that it rains. There'll be provision for you until rain hits the land and there's like, you know, provision from another place. Amazing. But think about this. How is he going to supply the food? It says, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty. Like, God doesn't supply this massive amount of food to appear in their home. 
like bag upon bag of flour, jug upon jug of oil, just instead that like the, the, the jug that has the oil, the jar that has the flour, it just won't run dry. It, this is an amazing part of God's provision. So every day there was like this continued act of faith, of opening, like is, is God faithful today? And he was. But like not an extra amount. And then the next day, is God faithful today? And he was. And I, I love how uh, Dale Ralph Davis puts it. This is a commentary. He says this, Don't forget there is something continuous about this miracle. It's not as though there are suddenly s- several 25-pound bags of meal slouching against the wall. When she went to the cupboard on Monday, there was enough meal in the jar and still some oil in the jug for that day. And so it went on through the weeks. Every morning was a fresh episode of the faithfulness of Yahweh to his promise. That's how, that's how God provides and just think about this for a second, just for, for me and you. That's a reminder of God's grace and mercy. You know, it, it says in Lamentations, his, his mercies are new every morning. We have, we have grace for today, and often we'll look ahead to something. We're worried about something in the future, like, Lord, will you provide then? And God's like, I'm providing today. You have enough for today. Just trust me for today. Reminds me of scripture in uh, Matthew 6, 34, Jesus, after talking about, like, don't worry about what you'll eat, don't worry about what you will wear, don't worry about your life, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I just, so I just want to see, that's how God gives us grace, from a well that will never run dry, but often we want to like look to the future and try to like get more provisions for what's coming. God's like, no, no, I'll give you grace for today. You get to tomorrow, his mercies are new again and they will never fail us. But So for the widow, every time she went to the cupboard, the jar was not empty, the jug was not empty either. It's an amazing act of the Lord. And we see this miracle acted out Again, God gives life, God's sustaining life of the widow, her son, Elijah. Verse 15, and she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. And you wonder, like when it says her household, I don't know if there's other people who are maybe stopping in for food, because why would it not just say her son? But either way, no one ever went hungry. No one ever went to the cupboard and said, now it's empty. No, God showed himself completely faithful. It was always full. It's amazing. In verse 16, the, the jar of oil was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, because, or sorry, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The widow obeys and goes and, and cooks the food and then is provided for. Again, this Gentile widow in the heart of Baal country obeys. Again, this is very ironic because Elijah had left Israel who wasn't obeying with a very ungodly king in Ahab who was in a, in a time of famine. All they had to do was repent and turn to the Lord. Here we, we see a, a picture of grace that's going to come to the non-Jewish people. Uh, we'll, we'll see that happen in the future through Jesus Christ. But again, anytime like, God kind of leaves Israel and reaches out to someone who's who's non-Israelite, it's always this picture of what is to come, spoken often of the prophets, that the Gentiles would believe. 
Here's a picture right here, the, the widow of Zarephath and her son being provided for. But again, look at verse 16 with me. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. Like, really, do you believe that? Just, just ask yourself, do you believe that? I was kind of like struck, smacked in the head, if you will, as I'm reading, preparing this week, because I kept reading over the text, and it wasn't hitting me like it should. Because I've read this story, I know what's happened, I go and I go into verse 17, and God kind of rebuked me like, do you not see the miracle? That happened. Don't take it to heart. We can become so accustomed to the stories of the Bible like, oh God, allow us to see with fresh eyes how amazing that is. And give us fresh faith in, in, in who the Lord is and how amazing he is. Let it impact us. Look, looking at this, this story, this recount of what happened in the life of Elijah, here's one thing we're not supposed to do. It's not meant to keep us from shopping for food. <laughs> no one's like, well, hey, like the milk's almost empty. I don't know. I just heard this story today. Just pray. Like that's what's not supposed to happen as we read this story that we're like, okay, God, just provide for us from our very little. But what it is supposed to do is we're supposed to have this ever-expanding view of God. And however big God is, it's not big enough. And then so tomorrow morning, Maybe this evening, whatever, you're reading some scripture, you're singing a song, Lord, give me an ever-expanding view of who you are. And it won't be enough. And then the next day, and the next day, and so I just pray as we look at this, this miracle that happens with Elijah, Lord, give us an ever-expanding view of who you are. You're the God who gives life, the God who sustains life. Notice at the end of verse 16, this is according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. That's why it happened, because God said it would happen and I want you to see God always keeps his word. God's word always holds true. That's a truth we can take with us. Like that's what always happens. God says something's going to happen. Sometimes there's a delay. Sometimes it doesn't happen in our timing. But it always happens according to his word. That's why if ever someone stands up and says something in the name of the Lord and it doesn't happen, it's false. It's a false prophet. In the Old Testament, you would, you would get rid of that person. In the New Testament, we just like, we tune that person out. Don't listen to them. But think about it. God's word always holds true. And I said that God gives life. He sustains life. I want you to see a few truths from this. God gives spiritual life. Like if God's word always holds true, if Elijah says something and because he said it, it's the word of the Lord, it happens. We read in scripture a word from the Lord and then it happens. I just want to point that out to you. A word for salvation. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says this. Romans chapter 8 verse 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise of God. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. It says in Romans 10, 11, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's this promise in Scripture. God's word is true. Everyone who believes in him, everyone who trusts in him will be saved. We can take that to the bank. The only limit for this promise is when Christ returns. I think the promise that was given to the widow of Zarephath that the, the jug would not be empty nor the jar empty until the day that it rains. The day that it rains, that provision will stop. The promise to everyone who believes in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's, it's wide open until the day Christ returns. 
then that promise is over. So again, maybe if you're hearing this, I don't know if you, I haven't said yet, the name Elijah means Yahweh is my God. Yahweh, like the covenant name of God, like the Lord. Lord is my God. That's what, I'm just saying, there's a promise in Scripture. Everyone who believes in him will be saved. And that you could, you could come in and be one of God's family. You would join with Yahweh and say, yes, that is my Lord. So there's a promise. God gives spiritual life. According to his word, I also just want to remind you again today, God sustains spiritual life. Just a word for you for growing, growing closer to him. God sustains spiritual life. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says this, His, that's God's, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. I just want to see, so God gives life, God sustains life, and if God gives you spiritual life in Christ, God sustains you. And he builds you up and gives you strength, and he's given you everything you need by his Holy Spirit, by the word of God, by, by a church to belong to and grow together. And I just want to show you, if God's word always holds true, then when you're reading scripture, you find a promise of God, like underline it, circle it, meditate upon it, pray it, take it to the bank, because it will hold true because God said it. God gives life. God sustains life. God is over life. Hope you can see that with the widow of Zarephath. Now kind of going on to the second section, looking at the widow's son, I just, I simply want us to see God is over death. Begins in verse 17. After this, it doesn't say how long after. It could have, been, it could have been a couple years after. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. He died. Some, some people are trying to get around like, oh, maybe he wasn't dead. Maybe he was in a coma. It's just poetic language. Like, yeah, he had no breath left in him. He died. The widow's son passed. Tragedy strikes. Isn't that how tragedy strikes one day? Everything is going on as normal. And then it happens often unannounced, often sudden, shockingly in our faces. And just we just have to ask, maybe as the widow is going to ask, is God in control then too when tragedy strikes? Just, just think about this. This is in the background. The jug and jar were still giving food for life. And yet her son was now dead and lay in her, lay in her arms. And so maybe how, how, like, how hard that must have been for her, holding her son, no more life left in him, but then looking on the shelf, and yet there's this life-giving miracle by the Lord still happening there on the shelf, but not there in her son and his breath. In verse 18, she says this, and she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. As many believed in the Old Testament, people still believe today, like there must have been some wrong that's been done. That's why death and sickness happened. Almost just like a karma-type understanding. I must have done something bad. That's why this bad thing happened. That's not how the Lord works. Just some good theology, some good things to think through. First uh, Samuel 2, 6-7, it says this, The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. 
He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Job 1.21, the Lord gives life, the Lord takes it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. It's actually in God's hand. It's not because all of a sudden we've done something wrong and God wants to punish it for us if it's sickness or death. We, we need to know that God controls the timing of death. Death, again, is a reminder of the curse of this earth. Things are broken. They're not as they should be. But God controls the timing. And in, in, in his timing and his purposes for why some would die uh, now or, or in the future, we don't know the understanding of that. We're not privy to that information. But the, almost the, the widow Zarethav, of Zarethav, interesting, she's never named, and her son is never named, yet speaks to us so clearly from Scripture. But the widow is almost blaming herself. Did I sin? Did I do something? Elijah, he's shook too. If we notice, he, he cries out to the Lord for her. In verse 20, and he cried to the Lord, oh, sorry, verse 19, and he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and he laid him on his bed, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son, like the widow with whom I stay? Why, why are you killing her? I think Elijah was just as shocked. Elijah's like, Lord, you, you've miraculously provided for her and her family. She, she could have died. Previous, but you kept her alive by providing with the jar and the jug. And so why, why would you take her now? Uh, Elijah's kind of perplexed as he's crying out to God. And Elijah, interesting, he intercedes for her. He prays to her, to the God that she's kind of just starting to get to know. Verse 21, he continues, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Again, did you notice that kind of phrase repeated? He cried out to the Lord his God. Just desperate. Why, why, why did he, it says he laid on him three times as he's praying. And, I, and I, like, why is that? I think because God didn't answer the first two times. I think it is that simple. And he's just like, doesn't know what to do. He's just praying for this dead boy and, and crying out and praying. And so he, why three times? Because two times he didn't answer. A third time he cried out again, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him. Amazing. I just, I just kind of a, a side note, just think about this for a second. When we meet people who are going through like tragedy, going through things that are shocking them, like often we, we don't know what to say and we probably shouldn't say anything. But, it, but we can take their burden before the Lord and pray for them. Like, we can always do that. We can always, like, yes, I'm, I'm going to lift up. I don't understand. I don't know what is completely happening, but I'm going to pray for you. You can cry out to the Lord for you. And I would just encourage you, if you, as you experience that, and you're like, hey, I'll pray for you, just pray for them right there. Like, too often, and I know I've done this in the past, like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you about that, and then life goes on. And to my shame, I forget. But I found the best is like, hey, let me pray for you. And just, just stumble through a prayer before the Lord. God, I don't, you know, I don't know what to say, but Lord, be with this person. Comfort them. And we can pray. We can lift up other people's tragedies to the Lord. We can cry out to God for them. 
So I want you to see this in 22, 23, this amazing thing. And then, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Unbelievable. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Wow, how amazing. Can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine the joy, like tears of joy and shock just probably pouring down? Just absolute rejoicing. The one who is dead and no more now has his breath returned to him. Unbelievable. Friends, I, I just want you also to note, though, like someone who is dead and being given back life is not a common occurrence within the Bible. It's not something that normally happens. We actually see it happen to uh, Elisha. Elijah's kind of like the one he mentors. He heals someone. We see in the, in the New Testament, Apostle Paul raised someone, Peter raised someone, of course Jesus raised a number of people, but it's not a normal thing we see in Scripture. It's, it's actually, it's miraculous. God, again, showing he is over death. God's the one who's in control of death. And I love how one commentator puts this, the child revives because Yahweh hears Elijah's plea. Not because of the prophet is so good. Yahweh is God, not Baal, not Elijah. Yahweh is God. That's what's being shown. And he is the Lord over death. So in reading this, I, I think it's a, it's a misreading, it's a misservice we're not to pray for dead people to live after reading this. But we're to understand that God has power over life and death and stand amazed before him. And just, just think about this. We read other miracles within the scripture. Like Moses parted the Red Sea and they walked over on dry land. Amazing how God did that. No one stands at the foot of Sylvan Lake and, and prays. Right? Like you're not trying to repeat that miracle in the Bible. Jesus fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. But when you have a bunch of people over, uh, this afternoon, it's my dad's 75th birthday. We're having him and all his siblings and all their spouses over at our house. And we didn't just like buy one burger. <laughs> you know, and we're like, we're just going to pray. We're just going to multiply it. But like, no, we trust that God is amazing, but we're not called to do the miracles that he does. We see someone rising from the dead like that is amazing. God is over death. But we're not called to try to repeat that. I just want to share that. I remember I've, I've talked with some people. I even knew someone from Bible college. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're called to do that. I'm like, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And the people who say, hey, yeah, we have the power. We can pray for someone to, to, who is dead to live. Why aren't they praying to multiply their food? Why aren't they having a big banquet with no food? Lord, multiply. They're not. It's a disservice to the church, to Christianity. So I just want to point that out. But we should be standing amazed at who God is. That he has power over life. He has power over death. He is sovereign over that. The miracle points to God. It should be leaving us like with our jaws dropping, awe-inspiring, like reverence and worship. Like, man, I just want to praise this God increasing in us trust and faith. That, that's the same God that we serve, the one who did this miracle in the widow's son. That's the God that we serve today. So I, I want us to see here also in verse 24, again, proving God's word is true. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man 
of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. She's like, now it's even further confirmed. She already had the jar and the jug and she's like, she's seeing it, it's kind of building faith, but now seeing her son who's dead being given life, now I know you're a man of God and the word in your mouth, the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. The miracle showed the widow, Yahweh is God, his prophet speaks the truth. Again, we see such grace, such mercy to the widow, the Gentile widow in the heart of Baal country. Again, there's this foreshadowing of the grace that's going to come for those outside of Israel uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. I think also a big aspect as we see in chapter 17, these three miracles, Elijah fed by the ravens, meat and, uh, and bread, and then Elijah miraculously brought it for the widow and her son and himself through a jar and a jug. And then this, this, the widow's son who died and was raised again, I think building his faith. Again, every step along the way showing Baal is nothing. And Yahweh, God, is everything. And it's actually preparing us for chapter 18 when we see this kind of showdown that Elijah has with the prophets of Baal. Amazing. So it's setting up that. But again, I want you to see God is over death. He's over death. Amazing, the widow's son died and was brought back to life. And we, and we should stand amazed at this story. But as we consider that, as we think about that, there is something greater I want us to think about this morning. Right? If you know your Bible, if you kept reading through the Scriptures, you'd know that you would eventually get to a prophet who is much greater. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And when you, when you get to Jesus Christ, it's not that he would raise people from the dead, which he did, but he also claimed, he's like, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. Jesus' own testimony in Luke 9.22, he says to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer. That's what he called himself. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Like Jesus made this claim, he also said this before he died. He said this after a raising a man named Lazarus from the grave in John verse 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Amazing claim that Jesus made. God, through the prophet Elijah, he raises the widow's son, giving him back to life. It happened. It's amazing. But again, it's also actually a foreshadowing of the resurrection to come, where Jesus Christ first, he would die on the cross for our sins and the punishment we deserve from God. Being in rebellion against him, each of us going our own way, Jesus died for me and for you. And then he was buried in the grave three days, but he did not stay there. He rose again, showing his power over death. Do you remember what Elijah's name means? I'm going to, like, throughout the summer, keep bringing it up. Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. Yahweh, the covenant name of the Lord. The Lord is my God. That's what we should all claim. But you know what it means to be a Christian? To say, I'm a Christian. It means I am a Christ follower. It means Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And when I mean when he is my Lord, it means he is my king. It means he's in control of every aspect of my life. He is the one who gives me life. He is the one who sustains my life. He is the one who can take my life. And by saying he's Lord, it means like I don't have control anymore. It means everything I own is his. All my decisions are his. 
Every aspect of my life, I want to put underneath his rule and his reign. He is the king. I am his subject. He is my savior. He died for me. He bought me with his blood on the cross, and I am his. Like, that's amazing. As I start thinking about the resurrection, it just goes to like, oh, man, I am Jesus' subject, and that's a wonderful place to be. And yes, the, the widow's son was raised and showing that God is over death. But I want you to see in Jesus Christ, he's over life, he's over death, he's over all. And he says he's the resurrection and the life. And true life is found in faith in him. And nothing else will ever satisfy in this world, right? Do we, we know that? Everything else is just a cheap facade. Of you walk down, you're like, man, this isn't it. Oh, maybe it's over here. Maybe it's in success. No, that isn't it. Maybe it's in pleasure. No, that isn't it. It's in Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to him. Living your life for him. That is it. That is where we find true fulfillment. And so this message I pray in closing with this word, where does it leave us? It leaves us to follow his ways. To grow in our understanding of him. To live for him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are over life, you are over death. Be over my life. Every aspect I pray. I pray that would be true for you as well. If you want to bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, I, I'm amazed at uh, the miracles you did in Elijah's day. And I, and I praise you, God, that you are the God of the miraculous, that you bring dead to life. I praise you, Lord, that you bring those who are spiritually dead to life. We can't do it, only you can. I pray anyone who's here, who's hearing this word, uh, Lord, may you open their eyes, may you give them life. Draw them to yourself. Lord, I praise you that you sustain our life. Lord, and even one day when when death comes, it won't be it, uh, because we will rise and be with you. Oh, Lord, I pray just grow in our hearts greater faith and trust in you. Oh, Lord, reign in every part of our hearts and our lives. By your spirit, continue to expose things, Lord, that we have that pull us away from you. We throw to the side. They, they aren't doing it. Lord, so Lord, seal this word in our hearts. I pray that which is from you, may we bring to remembrance, may we hold dearly. That which is from me, may it just fall to the side. May you be glorified. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.